All right, before I have you all stand, I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. If you are planning, if you are planning on sticking around to help decorate um, for Christmas, could you just stick your hand up in the air? If you are planning on sticking around to help decorate for Christmas, put your hand up in the air. It's high, high so we can see it. Did we get a count? A rough count? Perfect. All right. Um, reason I did that is because we plan on feeding you all pizza. So um, if you're planning on sticking around, there will be pizza available. Uh, Steve, put both hands up just so you see that. Um, yeah. I asked who was sticking around before I gave the prize for a reason. Okay. Um, we've been working on memorizing Psalm 1 together. You all familiar with it? I hope. At least the first three verses, I hope you're familiar. All right. Let's go ahead and stand together. Let's see if we can do this. Psalm 1, we're going to do verses 1, 2, and 3. And I joked with the guys in the sound booth this morning um, that uh, the guy leading it better know it. And honestly, I get kind of hung up on verse 3. So we'll see how we do together today. All right, so Psalm 1, beginning of verse 1. This is a New American Standard Bible for those of you who are just cluing in. And in your bulletin, it is there on the tear-out sheet. So if you don't have it perfectly memorized and you need your sheet, cheat sheet handy, it's right there in your bulletin. So let's see what we can do. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. All right, let's get verse 4 up there, because we're going to do this one next week. Uh, that's, there we go. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff, which the wind drives away. Thank God. All right, let's go ahead and read our word while we're up. Y'all did good, by the way. Y'all sound good. Just so y'all know, while you're standing, I'm going to preach a whole sermon. Um, just, I'm just kidding. Um, some of y'all have no idea where to turn, and that's okay. We're going to be in Psalm 100. That will be our text for today. Um, and I'll explain why here in just a moment. But Psalm 100 will be our text today. If you would like to follow along, I'll be reading from the Christian Standard Bible like I always do. So, <coughs> eat beef. Oh, goodness. All right. Psalm 100. Psalm 100. A psalm of thanksgiving. Let the whole earth shout triumphantly to God. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his. His people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good and his faithful love endures forever. His faithfulness through all generations. Thank God for his word. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father, as uh, we come to this time and we come around your word, um, and we look at this, this simple psalm, God, I pray that, uh, that you would just illuminate our, our minds. God, that you would help us to see what your word has to teach us today. Um, Father, I know oftentimes I read these psalms and my eyes skim the words, but my heart never really changes. Uh, Father, I pray that that would not be the case today. I pray that as we see these five verses, that uh, we would know you, 
that we would encounter our God and that it would lead us to just praise and thanksgiving. So, Lord, I pray that you would change our hearts today so that we praise you, that you would change our hearts today so that we are truly thankful people. And I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so Psalm 100. This is another one of those texts that over the last few weeks seems to have come up several different places. Um, and I, I, I kind of get nervous whenever I start seeing those texts that come up again and again because it's, it's almost like God's hitting you with a billy club saying, hey, you need to learn this. Um, so this one was one of them that came up several times, and I think that there was a reason for that. Not to mention, I was in this interesting place in uh, my, my preaching calendar where I had a gap, so I thought Psalm 100 would fit really well here for two reasons. One, y'all know that we just celebrated a major holiday? Y'all get enough turkey? <laughs> I don't know who that was, but somebody had enough turkey. Um, maybe too much, but anyway. Um, yeah, we just celebrated Thanksgiving Day, right? So I want to do this fun exercise that a lot of people do around the dinner table. We're not exactly at the dinner table right now, but we're going to do this exercise anyway. And uh, I would like to know what y'all are thankful for. Anybody want to give me something that you're thankful for? All right, Jesus. We're in church. That'll work. William, what are you thankful for, buddy? Acorns. Acorns. That's a good one. Well, without acorns, you don't have the trees, right? So yeah, acorns. Good one. Anybody else? What are y'all thankful for? Family. All right, well, I'm glad you're happy, thankful for family. Some of you are like, I'm not so thankful for mine, but that's okay. Anybody else? What are you all thankful for? Uh, sorry? Home. Somebody else said something. I didn't hear what it was, though. Church. Okay. Caitlin, did you have your hand up? No? Okay. All right. Somebody said heat. Yeah, especially this morning. Whew. A little brisk. Anybody else? Oh, don't say that. No, that's too cheesy. I wasn't looking for that one. Danielle, what do you got? Your grandma. You all need to be more thankful. Come on, there's like 100 people in the room. We can come up with more than six things to be thankful for. Yeah, Creed, freedom. I'm thankful for Creed, too. He smiles. It's so exciting. Yeah, look at that. Oh, it's so great. Could you just keep him there the whole time? Like that? Anyway, Camo, what are you thankful for, buddy? I can't hear you. Be loud. Love. Oh, that's sweet. Must get that from his mom. What are you thankful for? Coffee lady. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Some people are clapping. Yeah. Everybody's thankful for the coffee lady. You're going to be more thankful for the coffee lady here in about 45 minutes. Okay. So, um, I'm not, I don't mean to cut anybody off. I don't mean to do that. But honestly, we could go on all day. At least I hope you could go on all day because you should be able to go on all day. Y'all, we have so much to be thankful for. And this is one of, like I said, this is one of those texts that came up. And you know what this, this psalm is all about? It's all about thanksgiving. Y'all, we just celebrated this holiday that we, we focus on giving thanks for things. Are, are we thankful people? Like truly thankful people? Because according to God's word, we should be. We should be very thankful. So that's one reason I wanted to look at this. But I don't want to just look in the rearview mirror to Thursday whenever we overate, uh, we overindulged on turkey and stuffing, for those of you people who like gross stuff. Um, but anyway, the, we overindulged on some of these foods. I also want us to be looking forward because you know what major holiday is coming up? Christmas. And this week, actually, is the first Sunday of Advent. Some of you don't know what Advent is, and that's okay. Advent is a time of preparation. It's a time to look forward to the coming of Christ, both Christ as he came in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, but also as Christ will inevitably return, uh, we look forward to his coming. 
So that's what Advent is. It's this time. And this is the first Sunday of Advent. And traditionally, the first Sunday of Advent focuses on joy. So I want us to look with joy and thanksgiving as we begin to worship this Christmas season. And you all are thinking, Christmas season already? It's here. Get over it. So we are going to look forward to the coming of our Savior. So that's why we're looking at Psalm 100 today. Because it's a, this hymn of this just joy that bubbles out and this thanksgiving. So I want to look at it. But I thought it would be appropriate to look at the organization of the Psalms. Now I, I want to just um, bring a word of caution here. I don't necessarily believe the order that the Psalms are in your Bible is is inspired the way the words of the Bible are. Okay, These were compiled later, so I don't necessarily say, well, Psalm 93 to 99, that was divinely orchestrated. So that It was divinely orchestrated, but I'm not saying it was inspired by God the way that we would say the text is inspired by God. Does that make sense? You all tracking with that? Just at least kind of. If not, I'll move on. So I, I do think it's, it's helpful, though, to look at the way these were compiled, the way these are organized. Because Psalms 93 to 99 are this, this whole genre of psalms. Um, these are often called enthronement psalms. Okay, so, so what they all have to do with is Jesus, not, well, Jesus, God as king. God is king. And they're placing God on his throne through the psalms. That's what they're saying. They're saying our God is the king of all kings. So 93 to 99 are these enthronement psalms that all share some of these same qualities, some of these same attributes. Um, it's things like God's sovereign rule over everything. It's emphasized through these psalms, through Psalms 93 to 99. It, God's sovereign rule over all things. Um, for, for example, Psalm 95, verses 3 through 5. They say for the, it says, For the Lord is a great God, a great king above all gods. The depths of the earth are in his hand, and the mountain peaks are his. The sea is his. He made it. His hands formed the dry land. I hope you caught that. Not only is he the king above all gods, like the king of kings, not only is he above everything, but it says that he has the depths of the earth and the highest mountain peak. You guys know what that includes? Everything. He is sovereign over all things. He created it. It's his. It belongs to him. And that's one of these things that is emphasized again and again through these enthronement psalms. We get this God's sovereign rule over all things. Another thing that is um, emphasized throughout these psalms is the responsibility of the nations to respond to God. Okay, this responsibility of the nations to respond to him. For example, Psalm 96, verses 7 through 9, it says, Ascribe to the Lord, you families of the people, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name. Bring an offering and enter his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Let the whole earth tremble before him. Now, again, we're talking about bringing sacrifice, recognizing God for who he is. But did you notice who that was addressed to? Did you notice who this talks about? It talks about the families of the peoples, the families of the nations. Literally, at the very end of this, it says, it says the whole earth. Every person has a responsibility to respond to God. Every person does. And that's emphasized here in these enthronement psalms. The third thing I want us to see here, just real quick, that is in these enthronement psalms is the importance specifically of his people to exalt their God. Specifically, his people to exalt God. Psalm 99, verses 4 and 5, it says, The mighty king loves justice. You have established fairness. You have administered justice and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt the Lord our God. Bow in worship at his footstool. He is holy. 
Now, this psalm focuses specifically on God's people, those who belong to him. Notice, first of all, it has this reference to Jacob. You know who was in Jacob? The entire nation of Israel. He represents the whole nation of Israel. And they were specifically called to exalt their God. And more than that, at the end of that verse, at the end of that verse, it says, exalt the Lord, our God. Our God. Not just exalt the Lord, the God, or exalt the Lord, God. It is our God. He makes it personal here. So we, if we belong to Christ, if we belong to God, we should be exalting our Lord. We should be building him up, lifting him up, so people see who our God is. And that's what I want us to see here. That these these enthronement psalms, they build all of these things together to show that God is sovereign over all things, that all nations have a responsibility to respond to him, and that we specifically, as God's people, should exalt him. And the reason I bring all these up is because those psalms, they lead us to Psalm 100. All of these things lead us to Psalm 100, which is a hymn of thanks to God. And simply... Why is this him there? It's because of who he is. Psalms 93 to 99 focus on how powerful our God is, how all people should respond to him, how his people should exalt him. And then we get Psalm 100, which just says, thank you, God, for who you are. Who is he? Well, read the last six Psalms. You'll see who he is again and again and again. And now it's this hymn of thanksgiving. And I think that's appropriate because whenever we understand who God is, whenever we understand who God is, I think it will lead us to praise and to thanksgiving. I don't see any other way around it. If you really understand who God is and what he's done, you will be a thankful person. And you will praise that God. So, that's what I want us to see today. And that's what this psalm is. Psalm 100, oftentimes whenever we come to, uh, come to Bible study, I, I would actually encourage a lot of people to just kind of ignore like, um, the, the, the headings because those headings were put there afterwards after they were all compiled. And they might be helpful for us to formulate an idea of what the text is talking about, um, but really it's not part of the inspired word that was put later as a division so that we could better understand God's word. Um, so oftentimes I would encourage them to do that. But in these psalms, a lot of times they have a prescript. They have a prescript that was there in the original language. It was there in the original text. And for example, in Psalm 100, if you're reading out of the Christian Standard Bible, it says a psalm of thanksgiving. If you're reading out of the NIV, it says something a little bit different. It says, uh, let me see if I can find it here because I know I wrote it down. It says a psalm for giving grateful praise. Y'all see that? That prescript? That was there in the original language. And that's what this is. It's a psalm of thanksgiving or a hymn, a psalm for giving grateful praise. But what is a psalm? A psalm is a song. It's a song. It's, I mean, typically, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a poem. Did you know poem is a hard word to come up with? Y'all, I just struggled to come up with the word poem. That's embarrassing. Um, poem, that's what a psalm is. It is a poem that was oftentimes set to music. You know what we call that? A song. That's what these are. These are songs that are being sung And the word thanksgiving or grateful praise, what it is, is it's a word that involves giving thanks, which typically would have been accompanied by sacrifice. This was a song that might have been sang or recited as somebody came to the temple to bring a sacrifice. That's what Psalm 100 is. And I think what happens as we read this psalm is it's going to show us two things that will happen whenever we learn of who our true king is. 
Okay, so that's what I want us to see. I want us to see that when we learn of our true king, it will result in two responses. Two responses, all right? First, we will praise God because of his awesome power. We will praise God because of his awesome power. All right, verse 1 says, Let the whole earth shout triumphantly to God. Um, Most translations... Most English translations um, will indicate uh, making some kind of a joyful noise or letting out a joyful shout. Um, the word joy is included in one way or another. Um, so most translations will include that, which is perfectly fine. Um, so whether it's let us shout triumphantly or make a joyful noise, the point is, is that this is a shout of praise. That's, that's what we're seeing here. This is a shout of praise, a shout of adoration. And this is something I think I might actually overemphasize every once in a while. Um, And (laughs) I warned somebody I was going to talk about them without using their name today. Um, But a couple weeks ago, maybe this last week, I don't really remember, we were at Bible study. And uh, a few weeks ago, I'd gotten kind of worked up about how we we sit here and we get kind of complacent. We're very, uh, I'm going to use the word reverent. We're very quiet. We're very still. We don't really want to stir. We don't want to get too excited and worked up. And I'm like, do you really know what you've been saved from and what you've been saved to? And I went on this whole rant and I was like, y'all need to be excited. And somebody said, okay, so what were you looking for? And my answer was, I don't know. I really don't know what I was looking for. I don't know what kind of a response I was looking for at that moment. It was just one of those things I kind of got carried away and I went on a long rant. And I'm not apologizing for it. I'm just explaining. Um, But the point is, um, I I talk a lot about how we should be excited. But what we see in the text here today is these people, they experience who their God is. And then the psalmist is saying, let out this joyful shout. Like, shout triumphantly. Why Why don't we ever like just like, thank you, Jesus. Oh, no, I got too loud. But, I mean, sometimes, why don't, why don't we just shout because we make babies cry? Um, maybe that's why. I don't know. But I think sometimes maybe we overemphasize the fact that we could, I think I overemphasize that we might need to be a little more enthusiastic in worship. But I don't see many places in the Bible, either Old Testament or New Testament, where people experience God's power and His presence. And then they're like, oh, well, that's really nice. Oh, isn't that wonderful? I don't see that anywhere in here. People, instead, they experience what God has done and they shout about it. They run around telling everybody they can about it. And we hear about God and we see him move and we're like, oh, that's just wonderful. Okay? It doesn't seem that wonderful. It seems very ordinary. And I don't think that's the way it's supposed to be. I think we should be excited. And here this psalmist, he is calling for a shout of joy or a shout of victory. Um, I think it's worth noting, Charles Spurgeon, he actually talked about the the word in in the Hebrew here. Um, He notes that this word originally signified a glad shout when a king appeared before loyal subjects. That's what this word is. This is a shout somebody would have let out whenever they see their king coming. And they're excited because they can see their king on his way. Y'all, if we saw King Jesus coming today, would we be excited enough to shout about it? I think we should be. If we really understand who our God is and what he's done... Man, I think we'll shout for joy. We will be shouting triumphantly. Um, I, I, I thought about how to illustrate this best. And I couldn't come up with a better one um, than, than a video I saw um, whenever I was taking a, a, a missions course. Um, and as I was thinking about this, I, my mind always goes back to these people in Papua New Guinea called, called the Moke people. Um, 
so what happens is these missionaries, they come to the Moke people, and these people have never heard of, of Yahweh. They've never heard of God. They've never heard of Jesus. They've never heard of any of it. Um, when they were asked how they believe man was, how man got here, they, they said something about two birds, like forming men. And whenever they heard what most Westerners think as far as evolution goes and where man came from, the way Western thought goes, um, they said, well, that's just stupid. And I'm thinking, well, that's fair. Um, but anyway, but they believed they came from two birds. They had never heard of any of this. So instead of just coming in and saying, you need Jesus, whenever they have no idea who God is or what he's done or how he's acted throughout history, these missionaries, they come in and they start explaining, beginning in the Old Testament, how man was created. They explain all the Old Testament in about two and a half months. They do their best to explain it. They spend hours a day doing it. Hours each day, five days a week, explaining the Old Testament for two and a half months before they ever mention Jesus. Now, some people might think, well, that might seem a little reckless. Well, maybe, but what they're trying to do is give them a foundation. Like, who is God? How has he acted? Why do we need Jesus? So they begin by teaching all of these Old Testament passages, and two and a half months have passed. And then what these missionaries do is they show how Jesus was the acceptable sacrifice that we all needed, that we need as, as, a, placement, as a replacement for us because of our sin. And they show how he was there throughout the Old Testament and how all of these Old Testament narratives, they point us forward to Jesus. And they showed how all of this works together. And the people, the people here, these Moke people, they begin to express faith in Jesus. And what I want to do is I just want to play this video of what happens whenever they start professing this belief. So go ahead. On that day, almost all of village expressed belief in our Lord Jesus Christ. There was a sense of tremendous relief. The Moke are generally a restrained people, but as the gospel sunk in and new believers sensed the liberation from sin, spontaneous rejoicing broke out. Watch what happened. <laughs> Village believers stating that he too believes that Christ has paid for his sins. Itao, which means it's true or it's good, it's very true. Village grammar rejoicing that he believes, so does she. Different ones giving testimony as to their belief in Christ as their sin bearer. Mark saying that if they really are believing, then God's word says that their sin is forgiven. Itao, it's good, it's true. Spontaneous rejoicing breaks out. This went on for two and a half hours. I remember the first time I watched that video and I thought, two and a half hours, these people are rejoicing, screaming etow like it is true. Like, do we really understand what we've been saved from? Y'all, these people got it. And they just, they rejoice. They praise God. They let out these triumphant shouts. Um... So I just want to, I don't know, y'all want to shout today? 
Good. I want us to shout too. I thought about asking you all to shout Itao, um, but that doesn't mean much to us because we speak English. Does everybody speak English? I hope so, because if not, this isn't going to make much sense. Watch the subtitles later. Um, so, what I want us to do is I want us to shout, I believe. If you believe. I don't want you to lie about it. Like, if you really believe that you are a sinner who needs God's grace and you have that grace through the person and the work of Jesus, I want you to shout, I believe, on three. One, two, three. I believe. I heard somebody say that wasn't a shout. And that wasn't much of a shout because I don't think the charismatic church can hear you yet. So let's try this again. One, two, three. I believe. Do you really now? Let's try it again. One, two, three. I believe. Yes. Woo. Y'all, that is awesome. Now, I'm so grateful that we're not jumping up and down mauling each other because, uh, you know, I don't, I'm not real big and you'd hurt me. So anyway, but I think that whenever we see King Jesus, we will shout triumphantly. And just watching these people shouting and celebrating because they've been forgiven of their sins through faith in Jesus, like that is awesome. That is awesome, y'all. If you believe, if you have trusted in Jesus with your life, you have been freed from your sin. That's something worth celebrating. Um, that's something worth being joyful about. So praise God. And see, that means that every single one of us at some point, if we have come to know the grace of God in Jesus, I think that we should shout for joy because we can see our king. And one day, I love this, this is going to happen whether you believe or not. This is going to happen. Um, I know because God's word says it will. It says in Revelation chapter 7, Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, it says, After this I looked, and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. Y'all, someday people are going to be shouting about King Jesus. Shouting about it. Notice these people aren't just saying in a nice soft voice and they cried out in a soft voice worthy is the lamb. That's kind of anticlimactic isn't it? That's not what's going to happen y'all. There's going to be shouts of praise as people come together to worship King Jesus. So that's what we see. Y'all I'm just at verse 1. We need to keep moving. Alright verse 2. Verse 2. It says, serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. But I want you to notice the order here, okay? People have experienced who their God is. There's this triumphant shout, and then he gets to the service. Um, just Monday night at our, at our small group Bible study, we were talking about the discipline of serving. Um, we were talking about the discipline of serving. And, and much like the other disciplines we've been talking about, serving God um, should not come from some dreaded obligation. Instead, it should come as, as a result of our thankfulness for who God is and what he's done. I mean, our, our, the fact that we get to serve God should not come because, well, I suppose I'm a church member, so I kind of have to. Um, that's not, that shouldn't be our attitude. Instead, we should serve God because we've been forgiven of sin Man, it makes me so happy. Um, we've been forgiven of our sin for eternity. And for that reason, we have the privilege of serving King Jesus. Y'all, that's something we should be excited about, that we can serve our God. Not because we need to earn his favor, but because he's already poured his favor out on us. Um, another way to say that is we aren't acting. We aren't acting because we hope that we can somehow persuade God to respond. We are responding because God has already acted. Like in the order of that really does matter. It's not semantics. This is a huge distinction. 
We don't serve because we have to to make God happy with us. We serve because God's already poured his favor out on us. It's already done. So whenever we come before God and we serve him, we should do so with gladness, being thankful that we can do it. And further, it says, whenever we come before him, we do it with joyful songs. Okay. Now, singing, I was reading a commentary, and it said singing is not the only way to praise God, but throughout the Bible, it's one of the most common. And I think that's right. Singing is one of the most common. Um, happens an awful lot. And I've known a lot of people, especially guys, who are like, I don't want to sing. I'm too manly to sing. Y'all ever know guys like that? Please don't raise your hands if you are that guy. Um, I'm going to step on toes, and this is mostly the macho guys, so uh, bear with me. for No, don't bear with me. I don't really care. I'm going to step on your toes anyway. Um, so I, I've known a lot of guys who say, I, I don't sing because I'm not a good singer, or um, most guys won't say this, but they'll be like, well, it's too feminine, so I'm not doing that. Listen, I, I, there are a lot of manly men in the Bible who are singing praise to God. They are singing praise to God. So I don't want to turn this into a whole thing about, like, you all need to sing. I'm just making it a point, like, in the Bible, you know what people do whenever they experience God in their lives? They sing about it. They sing about it. And I'm not saying I'm more of a man than you, but I sing all the time, almost to the point where it's annoying, so I win. Um, anyway, so what we see over and over and over again in the Bible is that we sing. Like, there's these joyful songs that are just being poured out to God, and God doesn't really care about your abilities. I don't believe that God cares whether or not you are the most beautiful singer in the world. I don't think that's the point. I think what God does care about is that you care enough to praise him. So do you care enough about what God's done to actually praise him for what he's done? Because I think that's what God cares about. He wants your heart, not just your actions. He wants it all. So we serve God with gladness. We come before him with joyful songs. But why should we do all this? Why should we have this joy and this thanksgiving and this praise? Why should all of this come out? Well, verse 3, it answers that question for us. It says, acknowledge that the Lord is God. Why should you praise him? Why should you sing about his greatness? Simply because of who he is. Why should you praise him? Well, it's because of who he is. Verse 3 goes on and it says, Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his, his people, the sheep of his pasture. So why should you praise God? Well, simply put, you don't exist without him. You don't have a life to use without God. Why would you want to use it for anything other than glorifying the God who gave you life? That's the whole point. It says we are sheep of his pasture and just like a sheep belongs to the shepherd, we belong to him. We should praise him. He's our God. He made us. He loves us. He sustains us. So praise him because he made us. And we belong to him. And whenever we recognize God's awesome power, God's awesome power, I think we will praise him. Um, one more illustration of this and I'll move on. Uh, First Kings, there's this, there's this awesome story of, of Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Um, some of you are familiar with this with this, with this story, right? Um, okay, well, for those of you who aren't, what happens is um, there are all these Baals that the, the people are worshiping, these false gods that the people are worshiping. And what happens is Elijah comes in and says, all right, I have a plan for figuring out who the real God is. If, well, let's go up on, on Mount Carmel over here and we'll set up two, two altars. You build your altar, I'll build my altar, and we'll slaughter each slaughter bowls. We'll put them up on the altar. And the God who sends fire to burn up the offering, that is the true God. Okay, 
that's the, that's the true God. And he issues this challenge, and the prophets of Baal are like, okay, fine, let's do this. That way maybe we can get this guy Elijah to stop talking. Um, so they go up on the hill, and they do all this, and the prophets of Baal, they, they go first. They put their bowl up, and they start calling out to their false gods, and they say, burn this up, burn it up, burn it up, and nothing happens. And I actually love it because Elijah starts getting pretty cocky at this point, and he starts mocking them. He's like, hey, where's your God at now? Maybe he's taking a nap. He's taking it. That's it. Your gods have to be taking naps right now, right? I don't know. Maybe they're on vacation. I, I don't know. But they're, they're checked out at this point. They're not listening to you. So I'm sorry about your luck, but better luck next time. Um, so nothing happens. And Elijah says, okay, it's my turn. It's my turn. So instead of just starting out by praying, he says, okay, let's make this interesting. So he goes and he gets water and he pours it over everything. They dig a trench around the altar so that it fills up with water. And just so you all know, water doesn't burn real well. Um, don't know if that's the hard-hitting truth you learned today, but water doesn't burn real well. So here he is, up here on this mountain, with water all over his offering, and he starts praying. He says, God, show him who you are. And God sends fire from heaven. And not only does it burn up the offering, it burns up the altar, and it even sucks the water out of the trench so that everything is just completely dry. Everything. And, but look how people respond here. I just want to read this to you. 1 Kings 18, verse 39. After all this happened, it says, When all the people saw it, they went home and they're like, wow, that was cool. Maybe not. When all the people saw it, they fell face down and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. These people saw God do something awesome. And what did they do? They shouted for joy. They shouted triumphantly saying, the Lord is God. Y'all, that is awesome. We praise God because of his awesome power. Second, we thank God because of his loving kindness. We thank God because of his loving kindness. Verse 4 says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. And I thought it would be good at this point to tie this back to what we've been talking about for the last couple months in Nehemiah. Because in Nehemiah, they just had this grand celebration, right? This, this, big, this big dedication of the walls. All the walls were built up, and now they had these big processions marching around it. And they come together at the temple, right? And at the temple, they come through the gates of the temple and into the court of the temple. And I think, I think that that's what the psalmist has in mind here. Whenever he says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. He's saying, enter into the temple. But what did the temple represent? God's presence amongst his people. God's presence. So in other words, enter into his courts is another way of saying, enter into the presence of God. Come to where God dwells. Come to him. And enter his gates, but not just entering his gates, but enter them with thanksgiving and praise. Enter with thanksgiving and praise. Fun fact, though, we're looking at five verses today. Five verses. And in these five verses, there are six command verbs. There are six imperatives throughout these five verses, right? They're telling the people they need to do something. And oftentimes we read this in English, and we read, um, we, we actually do. We understand the implied you in this text. It may not say you anywhere, but where we see these commands is saying, you do this, okay? You let the whole earth shout triumphantly. You serve the Lord. You acknowledge that the Lord is good. And oftentimes what we do whenever we come to passages like this, we read this, and we almost fill in our names like it's being commanded directly to us, which is fine, okay? Don't misunderstand. But I would read this like, Jared, serve the Lord with gladness. Jared, come before him with joyful songs. And you can fill in your name, and that's perfectly fine. But fun fact, in these six imperatives, none of them are directed to you as an individual. All of them are in the second person plural. 
Okay, now we don't have a different word for the second person plural, at least not around here we don't. Um, it, you go down to Texas, it's y'all. Um, if you go further south, it's all y'all. If you go to the northeast, it's you's all. Um, so there's all these different ways for the plural of you that actually do take place. But every one of these imperatives, every one of these commands that are being given are to you all. You all, like all of you. Y'all need to do this. And what he's saying here, whenever he comes to this, he says, y'all enter his gates. The psalmist is calling for a time of corporate praise and corporate thanksgiving. We as a body should praise God and give thanks to our God. Now, that does mean that you as an individual have to do that because you are a part of the whole, right? But we as a body should come together with thanksgiving and praise. But see, then there's this, there's this thing, right? There's this thing, and I don't really know how to do this, because it says, how, it says, bless his name. How do you bless someone's name, and what does that even mean? What does that even mean, bless his name? Y'all, I come to places like this, look at that, I just used a portal of you, I didn't even mean to. Y'all, we come, I come to places like this every once in a while, and it's, it, it's like, okay, I don't even know what it means to bless his name. What, we don't use language like that very often. Unless we're reading the Bible and it's like, bless his name. Okay, sure. Well, simply what I, I think this means is to recognize who God is and who we are. Recognizing, God, you are higher, you are creator, you are awesome, you are sovereign, you are loving, you are kind. Recognize who he is. That's what it means to bless his name. So how do we do it? Well, simply we tell him who he is. But again, why should we do that? Why should we emphasize this thanksgiving? Why should we be so thankful as we enter into his presence? Well, verse 5 answers that question for us. It says, for he, for the Lord is good. For the Lord is good. Why should we enter into his presence with thanksgiving? Because he's good. He's not just the king, he's the good king. He's not just God, he's a good God. So whenever we come to him, we come to him knowing that he is good. I think about it like this, okay? Um, you know, I, I love going to the movies. Anybody else like going to the movie theater? A couple of you? Okay. I, I love going to the movies. It's, it's fantastic. It's one of my favorite things. Um, I especially like it whenever Steph and I can get away and we can just go to the movies by ourselves. Um, I, now, I've enjoyed that since we started dating in high school. So I, I've always loved going to the movies. Um, and it typically doesn't matter how good or how bad the movie is. Like, we've seen some bad ones, and I've still had a good time. Um, usually, the simple fact that I get to spend time with my wife watching a movie on a big screen that makes this one look tiny, um, watching a movie on the big screen, lights dim, sound blaring, eating my giant tub of extremely over-buttered popcorn, and having my $12 Dr. Pepper next to me, I'm a happy guy. I'm a happy guy. Like, it's, it is good. I love those times. And you all don't have to tell me to be thankful for it. Because I just naturally know that that's good. Like, it's good. I know that's good. I've, I've experienced that it's good. So you don't have to tell me to be thankful for it because I experienced how good it was. But as good as the movies are, as much fun as it is to go with my wife to a movie, it's nothing compared to being in the presence of God. So why should we enter his course? Why should we enter his presence with thanksgiving? Because God is good. Because he's good. And he still invites us into our presence. Into his presence, excuse me. But I, I ask myself, should we have any right to enter his courts, enter his presence? 
If y'all are Bible literate, you know that the answer is no. On our own, we have no merit. As a matter of fact, the way I put this in my own notes is that our sins scream that we are unclean and we should not be allowed into his presence. Our sins scream that. Like louder than y'all just shouted, I believe our sins are screaming, I don't belong here. But by the grace of God, through Jesus, we can enter into the presence of this good God. Y'all, that's something worth being thankful for. And the thing is, we don't have to worry about whether he's still going to be good tomorrow or whether or not he's still going to love us tomorrow. The text says that his faithful love, um, this is a word we talked about last week, this word hesed, this faithful love, this loyalty, this, this reliability, it goes on forever and ever and ever. But just saying that his faithfulness goes on forever isn't enough for the psalmist. Instead, the last part of verse 5, last part of verse 5, it says his faithfulness, it endures through all generations. All generations. His truth, his reliability never ends. It goes through all generations. As a matter of fact, this word, um, this word faithfulness, it comes from the word that brings us the word amen. Um, in, the, in the Hebrew, um, we find this word back in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, where Abraham encounters God and it says, it says that Abraham believed the Lord. That word believed is the same word that here in, in the Christian standard is translated as faithfulness. He believed he believed. In other words, he said amen to the Lord. He declared that God was trustworthy and that his word was true. God is trustworthy. He is reliable. And how do we know that he's going to be? Because the same God who was with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he's with us. He's here today. He's living in you, believer. Like, how can we know? Because he's always been faithful. The same God that has been with me for years now is the same one that I want my children to experience. The same God. He is there through all generations, and we can thank God because he is loving and he is kind. So we praise God because of his awesome power. We thank God because of his loving kindness. So what? Well, like I said, we just celebrated Thanksgiving, and if you want a reason to be thankful, well, I don't have a better one. Um... This is really the reason to be thankful. The reason. God created man, but man rebelled. Including you. You rebelled against God. Now, I'm not just saying y'all right now. I'm saying you individually rebelled against God. And for that reason, each of us deserves hell. We deserve hell. But we can thank God that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. And by faith in Jesus, we can enter his gates, we can enter into his presence, not because we're deserving or because your mama says you're special, simply because of God's loving kindness and his loyalty. So we can enter his presence. So thank God for that. And since we're looking forward to Christmas, um, I want us to look forward with anticipation. I want us to look forward with joy. I want us to look forward to saying our God is awesome, he is loving, he is kind, he is gracious, he is merciful. I want us to look forward with joy saying our king is coming. I want us to look forward like that. And we can praise God because he sent Jesus to live the life that we couldn't possibly live, to die the death that we deserve so that we could experience the only life that's worth living. I, I think we ought to be joyful for that. So application for today, be thankful and be joyful. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for this word. And God, I'm not just saying I thank you because that's um, routine or just the words that come out. I'm saying it because, God, I'm truly thankful. 
um, that while I was yet a sinner, rebelling against you, running in the opposite direction, you loved me. Um, not because of anything good I could have possibly done, but simply because of your mercy. So, Lord, today we look to you with joy, saying thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you for caring for us. Thank you for making a way for us. Um, Lord, it's truly awesome to be able to know the God who cares for us. Um, so today, Lord, I pray that we would be a joyful people. Not just as individuals, but as a body, we would be joyful and we would be thankful. So, Lord, stir that in our hearts. Stir that in our minds. Let us go from this place as thankful people here in just a few minutes and go as people who want to take the gospel to others so that they can experience the joy of knowing Christ and be thankful that they have been saved from their sins also. So, Lord, make us a people who are like that, who want to proclaim you in joy and thanksgiving. And I ask it in